0: You're listening to KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC-Camino. Today is Tuesday, August 15th, and this is the KVMR Evening News. I'm Julia Jem. The California Report talks with Brian Ferguson, a Cal OES director. They learn more about how our state is helping rescue workers in Lahaina process the gruesome scene in Maui. Then they take us to a vigil in Sonoma County where community members are calling on the DA to bring charges against a sheriff's deputy who shot and killed a local farm worker last year. And after regional news and weather, retired senior economist Gary Zimmerman joins Paul Emery to discuss the latest from the Federal Reserve.
1: This is the California Report. I'm Maddie Bolaños in San Francisco. The death toll continues to mount in Lahaina, and Hawaii's governor is warning that scores more people could be found dead following last week's wildfires on Maui. Twenty cadaver dogs and dozens of searchers, including some from California, are making their way through blocks reduced to ash. Brian Ferguson is with California's Department of Emergency Services.
2: You know, we have a lot of practice at the steps that goes into it. And so we actually have fire and rescue personnel on the ground, experts in mass casualty incidents, uh, highly specialized search and rescue folks who are working really closely with the officials in Hawaii to help walk them through the process of processing a scene, identifying the bodies and hopefully bring some closure to the family so they can have a a better idea of what happened to their loved ones and um, help the community move on as quickly as possible.
1: Ferguson says our crews will stay as long as they're needed, which he says will likely be months. On the mainland, the Department of Energy has announced $100 million in funding for 19 carbon capture projects nationwide. One of those projects is destined for the Kern County foothills near Taft. KBPR's Joshua Yeager is there.
2: The funding will help supercharge direct air capture technology in the United States, which raises an important question. What is direct air capture? Direct air capture is is basically capturing CO2 directly from the atmosphere. Ken Haney is with the California Resources Corporation, part of a consortium that was awarded $12 million to help plan the California direct air capture hub in Kern County. And while some have pitched this technology as a climate panacea, the reality is more complicated. Right now, operating these facilities requires a lot of energy and there's no clear path to profit. If you would have asked me a year and a half ago, I would have said, it's 20 years away. I don't see myself working on that before I retire. But with the new funding, officials are hopeful that this direct air capture will rapidly evolve, helping California and the country meet ambitious climate goals. For The California Report, I'm Joshua Yeager in Taft.
1: It's been one year since the Sonoma County Sheriff's deputy shot and killed local farm worker David Belayez Chavez. His family and community members are calling on the district attorney to bring charges against the deputy involved. Reporter Tosh Kimmel has more on the story.
3: Holding flowers and signs, a group of around 80 people gather at Santa Rosa's old courthouse square. Local organizer Kareem Sanchez addresses the crowd. Behind him, A large banner reads, it's been 365 days. Justice for David Palayas Chavez. We're going to move
4: to where you can hear my voice. Muévanse a donde
3: escuchen mi voz. Sanchez is with the North Bay Organizing Project. They're a social justice group that's helped organize the vigil to honor David Palayas Chavez, an immigrant farm worker who was shot and killed by Sonoma County Sheriff's Deputy Michael Dietrich.
4: His family called for this vigil. I've been in close contact with his family. We've been standing with them calling for justice. We are continuing that call today, calling on the DA Rodriguez to um, do the right thing and hold Deputy Dietrich accountable.
3: Palaez Chavez was shot and killed after a 45-minute pursuit through rocky and wooded terrain near Geyserville. Body camera footage shows Palaez Chavez was barefoot and behaving erratically. His family claims he was in crisis, and toxicology reports show he was under the influence of methamphetamine. Deputy Dietrich alleges Palaez Chavez was threatening him with a rock and gardening tools before fatally shooting him three times in the head and chest. The other officer on the scene fired his taser. Now, a year later, David's brother, Jose Palaez says the family fears the public is forgetting his story— in an impassioned speech, he urged the district attorney to bring charges against the officer involved. He spoke to the crowd in Spanish through the help of an interpreter.
4: And we want the DA to do her job and to press charges and hold the officer accountable who did this to my brother. Maybe they're forgetting, but we're not. We-
0: Justicia para David! Justicia!
3: The criminal investigation is currently in the hands of the Sonoma County District Attorney. In general, the DA's office tries to issue a decision within 90 days of receiving the reports. But in some cases, including this one, District Attorney Carla Rodriguez says it can take more time. My job is to make sure that we make the right decision based on the law and the facts. And unfortunately, sometimes that takes longer than uh, less complex cases. Rodriguez says part of that delay is because prosecutors are still waiting for an expert witness to weigh in on the case. Sonoma County Sheriff's Department says they're working on an internal investigation but have not issued any disciplinary action or policy changes. In an email, they confirm Dietrich is still on the job. Back at the vigil, Alfredo Pelias, another brother of Palayas Chavez, spoke to the crowd. He notes that his brother's death is not the first fatal shooting involving Dietrich. In 2016, Dietrich shot and killed a man while he was an officer at the Clear Lake Police Department. The shooting was ruled justified, and Polias fears, with little accountability, this could happen to another family.
0: Because
4: like I said, well, we know that this deputy killed somebody before he killed my brother, and the only thing they did was change him to a different county. Uh, there was no justice in that. And so... If we don't do anything, what's going to happen? Is he just going to get transferred to another county so that this happens again?
3: As they await the DA's deliberation, these are the questions plaguing the Palaez family. One year after the death of their loved one, it's clear that while it may not be swift, the Palaez family is still hoping for justice. For The California Report, I'm Tosh Kimmel in Santa Rosa.
1: Support for
2: The California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, comprising its School of Medicine and Adult and Children's Health Systems, working together to advance knowledge and improve lives. StanfordMedicine.org. The James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at
1: theschmidt.org. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, August 15th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Mavi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a
0: great day. We begin our newscast in Yuba County, where public health officials announced the first confirmed human case of West Nile virus in Yuba County this year. As of August 11th, 14 human West Nile virus cases have been reported in California, the bulk of which are in Tulare County. Although most cases are mild, severe West Nile virus symptoms such as meningitis may last several weeks and other neurological symptoms may be permanent. The recently confirmed case in Yuba County Experienced severe illness. According to Stephen Abshire, the district manager for the Sutter-Yuba Mosquito and Vector Control District, the risk of West Nile virus continues to be high throughout Sutter and Yuba counties, and residents should remain vigilant in protecting themselves from being bitten by mosquitoes. There are several things you can do to help reduce the risk of contracting West Nile virus. Here are just a few. Avoid being outside at dusk and dawn, as the kind of mosquito that transmits the virus is most active during those times. If you have to be outside during those times, wear long-sleeved shirts and pants, and use a proven insect repellent like DEET, picaridin, or lemon eucalyptus oil. Mosquitoes lay their eggs on standing water, so drain all sources of standing water on your property to limit mosquito breeding. For breeding grounds that can't be drained, like ponds, Consider adding mosquito fish, which feed on mosquito larvae. And finally, make sure that doors and windows have tight-fitting screens to keep mosquitoes out. In response to the recent findings and increased virus activity, the Sutter-Yuba Mosquito and Vector Control District will continue to take measures to reduce the adult mosquito population. Spray areas can be viewed at the district's website at www.sutter-yubamvcd.org. Here in Nevada County, NID announced today that Congressman Kevin Kiley recently visited the Scotts Flat Spillway. The Scotts Flat Reservoir was first constructed in 1948 and then raised to its current elevation of just over 3,000 feet above sea level in 1962. Over time, the reservoir's spillway has experienced damage, most recently during the heavy flows of 2017. Both the Federal Energy and Regulatory Commission and the California Department of Safety of dams have determined that the Scotts Flat Spillway must be replaced. The spillway, which is a critical safety component to the reservoir's operation, protects the earth and rock fill from serious erosion during spill events. Although under no immediate threat of failure, NID has been working closely with both federal and state regulatory agencies to plan, prepare, and execute the spillway replacement project. NID anticipates a full replacement of the Scotts Flat Spillway in the coming years, with a hefty price tag estimated at over $20 million. Congressman Kevin Kiley's visit on Monday was to discuss the district's infrastructure need. Specifically, he spoke with NID Board of Directors members Karen Hole of Division Three and Trevor Calder of Division IV. Turning now to the regional forecast from the National Weather Service. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, Tonight, a slight chance of showers and thunderstorms before 8 p.m., then a slight chance of showers between 8 p.m. and 11 p.m., partly cloudy with a low around 70. Wednesday, sunny and hot with a high near 96. Wednesday night, a 20% chance of showers after 11 p.m., mostly cloudy with a low around 70. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, scattered showers and thunderstorms before 8 p.m., then isolated showers between 8 p.m. and 11 p.m., and then showers and thunderstorms after 11 p.m., partly cloudy with a low around 53. Wednesday, a slight chance of showers, then scattered showers and thunderstorms after 11 a.m., partly sunny with a high near 83. Wednesday night, scattered showers and thunderstorms, mostly cloudy with a low around 52. And for Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 68, Wednesday, sunny and hot with a high near 104, Wednesday night, partly cloudy, with a low around 69. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. <music> According to recently released Fed data, the labor market added 187,000 jobs last month, a strong indication that things are on the right track. Up next, retired Federal Reserve Senior Economist Gary Zimmerman discusses that and other trends as he and Paul Emery explore what the latest data means for the future American economy.
5: This economic report is sponsored by Rick Kalb, wealth management advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983, on Spring Street in Nevada City. Rick, K-A-L-B, dot com.
6: Gary, what news... Do you have to tell us about the economy today
5: hi Paul um yes, it does continue to be economic news with <laughs> some new or updated data being released or published weekly, daily, (laughs) monthly, quarterly. Um, So that's one reason why the Federal Reserve and the Fed Chair, Jay Powell, continue to talk about their decisions being data dependent because they want to include the the most recent data in their analysis for the economy and financial system. Uh, And that means that they're carefully analyzing new data on the real economy, um, looking at income, consumer and business uh, conditions. Um, imports and exports, as, as well as you know the government sector, what it's doing, spending, um, and they're also obviously analyzing the overall price level or inflation rate, looking at both consumer prices, um, the CPI or personal consumption. And expenditure index um, based prices that's the pce and then producer prices um, and they're, they're looking at those for you know combination of all prices as well as um, core prices those are price level overall price level it excludes the volatile um, food and energy prices um, and using the core number gives you generally a little bit more stable inflation measure over time it doesn't wiggle around as much. Um, You know, in addition, they're looking at things like the leading economic indicators. These are data series that tend to lead the ups and downs in the overall economy. These would be things like Data for new orders for consumer and business goods, consumer expectations, stock prices, um, the yield curve. And this is one index that has been signaling a recession for quite some time now. Um, And, you know, they're also looking at other indicators that move with the overall output or GDP of the economy, like employment, industrial output, household income, and those actually have been holding up better than the leading economic indicators that have been weak uh, recently, or actually for quite some time now. These new data are also included in updated versions of various models of the economy to get new or updated forecasts and include the most recent economic developments to improve their accuracy.
6: Uh, Gary, uh, it was just two weeks ago that you suggested we should be waiting for the July labor market data for more clues about the strength of the economy and conditions in the labor market. What do you have on that?
5: Okay, in July, the payroll jobs number and the unemployment number, at least from my perspective, continued to be pretty robust, even though the number of new jobs created in both June and July has now fallen below 200,000 jobs a month.
6: Gary, what about the smaller increase in total payroll jobs in July 2023? Do you think that is a sign of slowing in the job market or not?
5: Oh, good question, Paul. First, 180,000, 187,000 new jobs in July Well, is well below the average number of new jobs that was added over the past year. 187,000 new jobs is still a strong number, meaning it's about what you and I would expect to see when the economy is expanding at a fairly rapid pace. So I think we should you know, all understand that if the US, the overall U.S. labor market was in a recession now, um, it wouldn't be adding nearly 200,000 jobs a month. In a recession, the overall economy would be losing 50 to 200,000 jobs a month. So, you know, the labor market is clearly saying, you know, it's remaining fairly strong and showing no signs of being in a recession.
6: How important or significant is a change from, say, 3.6 percent to 3.5 percent for the unemployment rate?
5: Oh, Paul, that's a technical question. Uh, let me think for a second about how to answer that. I guess I would say that statistically, there is enough movement in the unemployment rate on a on a month-to-month basis that essentially there's probably little or no statistically significant difference between uh, with a change between three point. Six and three point five percent for the unemployment rate. I think what's important here though, is that overall both three point five and three point six are very low unemployment rates. And, you know after all, the three point five percent unemployment rate in July is you know tied for the lowest unemployment rate in the past fifty years. Um, and so you know, 3.5 percent is all, as as is 3.6 percent is well below many estimates of full employment for the overall U.S. economy. So, um, you know, overall the labor market looks good, and you know both payroll jobs and the unemployment rate are you know telling the same story of a tight labor market. And the robust labor market is an important um, signal of a strong economy.
6: Gary, once again, do we have any new inflation numbers, and what are they suggesting? For the trends in inflation,
5: yes, Paul, we do have some recent uh, inflation measures for the Consumer Price, X Price Index or CPI, and the Personal Consumption Expenditure Price Index or PCE. You know, these are two of the most frequently used inflation measures. That I've mentioned in the past the the recent CPI numbers on a year over year basis, or as well as the PCE index, are showing a general downward. Trend in inflation, but you know they're still at an inflation rate for the total CPI and PCE price indexes that remain noticeably above the Fed's 2% um, PCE inflation goal. Um, you know the CPI on a year-over-year basis in July was up 3.2% for for all items total inflation. The core inflation number was actually quite a bit higher at 4.7%. Food was at, you know, a little higher yet at 4.9%. And the downward movement was in large part driven by falling energy prices. Over the past year, they were down 12.5%. And for the personal consumption expenditure year over year figure, and this was for June, um, there'll be a new figure out later this month, um, the total was 3%. inflation and the core inflation was, you know, remained a little higher, 4.1%. So you were clearly much better than we were a year ago when we saw inflation by some of these measures, you know, peak at 9%, uh, but we're still noticeably above that 2% Federal Reserve inflation goal.
6: Oh, one more question, uh, Gary. What happened to the recession that so many economists and so many forecasts were projecting for this year, 2023. Can the Fed actually engineer a soft landing for the economy so that monetary policy and higher interest rates since March 22 do not result in a recession for this year, 2023?
5: Well, Paul, looking at the recent data, and again, remember, the Fed is making policy dependent on what that, you know, new data are telling us. Um, You know, first, because of the continued, you know, slightly above average output or inflation adjusted GDP growth rates, you know, that that. You know, suggests there's no not likely to be an inflation. Excuse me, a recession in 2023. Um, you know, twenty four is another question, perhaps. Uh, second, the uh, you know, the continued tight labor markets. You know, that's an indication that the economy is still growing uh, <laughs> robustly, um, with inflation falling, uh, but not yet down to that you know, two percent. The Fed would like would like to see it uh, reach in maybe another year or two. Um, But fortunately, we see relatively well-anchored long-term inflation expectations. Um, you know, the overall, I think the outlook for the overall economy is, is getting more favorable. There are fewer <laughs> forecasts, you know, projecting a, a, a recession in 2023 or 2024. Um, I think there's a growing sense that the Fed may have, you know, even though the Fed may have raised interest rates over the past year and a half to slow the economy and lower inflation, um, they it looks like they may actually be able to do so without causing a recession. So, you know, and that's the soft landing that many economists and economic models are are now forecasting and it you know it seems you know given given how well the overall economy has held up that that's you know possible and that would be you know that is very good news
6: well gary that's a, a pretty positive report today thank you very much
5: <laughs> you're welcome paul
6: yeah and we'll talk with you in a couple of weeks
5: sounds good <laughs> Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco and is currently a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria. He teaches courses in economics and finance. <music>
0: That's our newscast for this Tuesday, August 15th, 2023. You can listen to this and past newscasts on our website, kvmr.org, or subscribe to the KVMR News Podcast to have them delivered directly to your phone. KVMR gets support from listeners like you and Four Paws Animal Clinic. Doctors Susan Murphy and Sue Lester and staff are proud to support KVMR, providing medical, dental, alternative, and surgical services for cherished companions on Searles Avenue in Nevada City. 4 And Milkman Toner Company, providing local, hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners. Carrying remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support. Serving Northern California counties from San Francisco to Lake Tahoe. MilkmanCompany.com Support for KVMAR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director, Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Julia Jem, and I hope you have a great night.